0: Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. There's a lot on the agenda today following Tottenham's 2-2 draw against Liverpool on Sunday, a game in which Spurs perhaps should have won given the amount of chances they created. We'll also be looking ahead to Wednesday's Carabao Cup quarter-final clash against West Ham. Then also reflecting on the tragic news that Spurs are no longer in the Europa Conference League following UEFA's final decision today over that postponed Ren game. Alistair Gold is joining me today, as usual, on the podcast to discuss all things Spurs. How are you doing, Ali?
1: I I just feel sorry for you, mate. I feel sorry that you're (laughs) not going to be able to use the expression, the road to Tirana, anymore. Because Tottenham's car, somewhere along the route, SatNav hasn't worked, they've got themselves lost and they will no longer be heading down that road to Tirana. So uh, my thoughts are with you at this difficult time as you uh, have to put away the term road to Tirana, but uh, I'm sure we've got plenty of other great stuff to talk about and an absolutely cracking match yesterday to discuss.
0: Yeah, we'll start with the Liverpool match uh, first of all, I mean... The other day we were discussing Tottenham's most memorable games of 2021 and we're struggling to come up with you know, a few key ones, what we could really remember. I think if Spurs had won that yesterday, then I think that would have been obviously the standout choice because Spurs played extremely well, given they had no matches in two weeks, uh, following that COVID outbreak at the club, which saw the Wren Brighton, and Albion and then the Leicester game postponed. Uh, last week, following a number of positive cases in the Leicester camp. I mean, Tottenham really should have had three points from that, really, given the chances.
1: Yeah, it was such a mad game. It was, do you know what? The, the expression, the beautiful game, is kind of it's bandied about a bit. But yesterday, I just kind of felt, you know, we've had matches called off. There's been doubts about whether football can take place everything about that match at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium showed why it's so wonderful to have football it really it was it was a beautiful game it might not be the result either side wanted or felt they deserved but you know you look at it you had four goals a red card a potential another red card two penalty claims some lovely finishes as well Um, it it just had a bit of everything it had Shots galore, it had redemption stories, players coming back in from the cold and playing really well. Had one of the best uh, players in the world right now on display. Um absolutely kind of kept quiet by a young left wing back getting his real his first kind of Premier League start for Spurs in in God knows how long. I'm trying to think when his last Premier League start was Ryan Session. Been a while back. Sometime during the Mourinho era, wouldn't it?
0: Was it Norwich at home, January yeah. 8, 2020? I think we've mentioned that before. I think he might have played in started in Cup games, but his yeah. last Premier League start, I think, was that one.
1: So that's almost two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is is mad. And he came in, and you know, I know we're going to talk about him, but but that's just one of the many elements of the story yesterday. It was so much going on. Harry Kane being the hero and the villain in a way, you know, scoring his first goal in, you know, sorry, second Premier League goal of the season. The relief on his face. And then in another moment, of course, probably should have got sent off as well, if you kind of look at it objectively. Um, I loved it. Honestly, the crowd were brilliant. The crowd, 45,000 of them, had all made that trip. And understandably, a lot of people have been, would have been put off, you know, at that kind of time, what was it, the 19th, being worried about going somewhere and getting COVID just before Christmas, 45,000 turned up, and they were in great spirits, I think they responded to what they saw on the pitch, and yeah, I don't know whether it's because I'd been away for two weeks, you know, which felt like the longest two weeks ever, I was saying to this, some of the people in the club, it's like, how much happened in those two weeks (laughs) it's like that would be a normal international break kind of period but it felt like like a month um and then to come back with that yesterday it it was brilliant it was such a good game
0: yeah i unfortunately couldn't be at the game yesterday a bit good not to go in the end having watched it i mean it was a really really good game and i think the only disappointment for me was that tottenham didn't get the win because they did have the chances and I don't know what people were really expecting from Spurs yesterday, given that they had two weeks with no game. Uh, obviously, the training base was shut for a few days. When they were training, there was limited numbers because a lot of players were obviously having the isolation periods uh, after testing positive for COVID. Uh, and then Liverpool are coming into the game bang on form. Six excessive wins, uh, scoring goals for fun at the moment. I think a lot... People might have expected a Liverpool win, but you know Spurs thoroughly deserved to get something out of the game. I thought they were fantastic. I know Liverpool had a couple of good openings inside the first ten minutes, and you know possibly could have really scored that with uh, Andy Robertson's header inside the first minute or so. But Spurs responded so well. Uh, good finish from Kane. Really good team move. Uh, I know Tanguy you will get a lot of credit for the through ball. I mean, it was a fantastic through ball, but I think Harry Winks as well deserves so much praise because uh, that was a really, really good tackle on Mabi Keita, and it just lifted the crowd. Everyone responded to that, and they worked it extremely well. And Scarred, uh, possibly unlucky with Son missing the target following another quick counter, but I, I just think there was a bit too much on it from Kane. Yeah,
1: I don't think it uh, was the greatest ball from Kane. I think that was more no. on Kane than
0: Son, I'd say. Yeah, and then in the second half, there was the one when it was Ali playing it to Kane, and on that one, there just wasn't enough. Just took a yeah. bit of a bobble, what was
1: Absolutely.
0: a bit unfortunate, but no, I thought Spurs uh, definitely deserved something from the game. And as I said, probably just a shame they didn't uh get the full three points because that would have uh, really pushed them closer to the top four, but they've still got those three games in hand. So I think there's a lot of positives you can take at the moment. I think Spurs are really going to improve under Antonio Conte.
1: Yeah, you could see it, couldn't you? I think that was the biggest thing for me, the takeaway from the game, was that, like we said, he had an understrength squad. Um, Some players coming back from COVID who, you know, I was told, pretty much most of the players that came back from COVID were absolutely kind of essentially flat out in training sessions. They were struggling big time. Um, So he obviously had all the uncertainty of that. But what I felt that despite all of that, you felt the kind of the fingerprints of Antonio Conte all over that performance. It was tactically very clever. um, And a lot of the players just having had, you know, the two weeks essentially, well, barring the days that the... um, uh, Hotspur Way was closed just that little bit of time with him let's let's call it I don't know nine days maybe ten days with, with the closure he, he he made them better and that's kind of what we expected from Gonzaga. he made players better that maybe some people had written off as well um, yeah I think it reminds, I said this to you earlier before we started recording that it reminded me a bit of the Leicester match when Spurs won 3-0 under Mourinho at home um, a couple of seasons back when Every time Spurs went forward, they looked like they were going to rip Leicester apart. And on that day, they did. They were really clinical. Obviously, they had Kane in, in, in better form then. And I felt yesterday, had their finishing or or maybe sometimes the final pass in the final third just been that little bit better, the first half could have been like that against Liverpool. They could have actually been out of sight. It maybe could have been something like 3-0 up at half-time. Um, and, you know... It, it, this is not to say that Liverpool didn't have their chances. They had plenty of chances. Um, but I would say probably Allison was the more the busier of the two keepers. I think Spurs probably had the better chances. Um, and it, I thought Jurgen Klopp was quite. I don't know. He was funny after that. I like Jurgen Klopp. I think he's a really good manager. And I don't know, obviously, where he sits exactly with you. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I like Jurgen Klopp as a manager. I think he's. I like what he tries to do with his football you know, I like what he tries to get his teams to do. But I just felt afterwards, there was some strange kind of things he came out with, you know, he came out about the the long balls, Spurs, you know, they just kept booting it long. And then in his words, Son and Kane would be on their bike. You know, we've looked at the stats. Liverpool played more long balls than the Tottenham did. I didn't really understand the logic behind that comment. And I actually felt that like again the Leicester game, I think a lot of the counterattacks were actually very quick passing moves out of their own box. You know, sometimes like I don't know, let's say for Son's um, leveller at the end, you know, Winks was hitting a, a ball, kind of a slide ball uh, through, but he was almost on the halfway line when that happened. We're not talking about booting it out Eric Dyer, you know, Tottenham's new quarterback essentially. Yeah, he probably played two or three of those diagonal Toby Alderweireld-style balls out to Cessonon um, on the left. But that was not that's not a hidden hope kind of let's get everyone running kind of ball. That's a very cultured diagonal ball that we see. You know, you see teams play that, and you see them getting cheers and stuff because it's like the technique involved. So I thought that was odd. Um, what else he came out with? Something else. Obviously, Conte picks him up on the fact that he, he spoke about the various refereeing decisions and neglected to mention Salah's what looked like a clear handball for their second goal. Um, oh, that was the other one. He said. Because he, was, he wasn't happy. He was kind of moaning about this in the days before the game, that he wasn't happy that Tottenham hadn't revealed who was out with COVID. He felt that should be done. And, that I, I, you know, people will know my thoughts on this. It's very much, it's your medical information. If you don't want that out there, you don't want that out there. It's like, I don't, I don't understand why it's such a, I've seen some people say, oh, it's just like getting a broken leg though or an injury or something like that. But it's not really. Because most of the time, we'll see them get that injury. We'll see that happen in a match and things like that. So we're well aware of that. And if the person doesn't want to announce that, that's very much their own thing. But then what he came out with after saying that after the game was, you know, I looked at their team and it was pretty much their normal starting 11. I was like, uh, Jürgen, hello. <laughs> that's so good to be a normal starting 11. It was missing. It was only six players from the Norwich match started the game. Um you know, and he was like, oh, it was only Hoybier was out. And it's was like, no, he wasn't. The, uh, wing, pretty much the entire midfield was different. Winks on Dembele and Ali all haven't been playing regularly for Tottenham at all this season, especially under Conte. Ryan Session's as we said, first time two years. I mean, maybe just the fact that you had Con- um, Kane and Son up front, maybe that confused him. So he was like, ah, oh, they've got their star players kind of thing. And it was like, I thought that was a really odd comment. And you know Liverpool had their own problems. You know I don't think we can come away from this and say that was Liverpool's best team. Of course not. Liverpool had you know Van Dijk, out, Henderson, Firmino, Thiago. Of course they had players as well. But I kind of felt it was almost balanced. I felt the two teams were were kind of similarly under strength, uh, but yet probably with their star well, let's say star attackers. You know they still had their their front line very much intact. Um, I think there's probably a bit of frustration on Klopp's part that, you know, he couldn't find a way to get Salah into the game and he couldn't find a way really past Tottenham. Um, Yeah, I I found that really odd. And like like I said, I like Klopp. I like a lot of the things he has to say. But I just feel, I don't know. You know, sometimes when managers after a game, they come across as almost trying to cover up perhaps inadequacies in something that happened in their team's performance. And that was what I felt like yesterday. I felt that the better chances fell to Tottenham. And I think had Tottenham taken all of their good chances, I think they would have won the game. And yeah, uh, yeah, I wasn't a massive fan of that. It's, I'm not going as far as saying that's just a lack of class or any of this sort of stuff. But I just felt more credit was due Tottenham's way. And I don't think he gave it.
0: Yeah, the long ball comment didn't sit well with me to be honest Uh, don't get me wrong Klopp is a fantastic manager and he's done such a good job at Liverpool yeah well well he has though you've got to you've got to be honest though he has done an incredible job at Liverpool he's totally transformed them in uh, five years or so but I just think he could have said it a lot better I think basically what he was saying was that whenever Tottenham won the ball Deep, they just booted it as far up the pitch as they could to get caught to get Kane and Son on the bikes. Or well, he could have said something. Well, Tottenham obviously looked to utilize the long ball at times to you know get Kane and Son, and could have said something like that. What would have come across a lot better? But he didn't, is it's uh, always. It's totally different when the drop points. When the win is, is fun, Jürgen, everyone seems to just lap it up, but he's really tetchy at times when they don't. I can remember a draw at Goodison uh, a couple of years ago when they were going for the title. I'm and,
1: surprised you'd remember that. And, well,
0: I can, because, I mean, it was the most ridiculous excuse he used after the game when he was blaming it on the wind.
1: Oh, that yeah. now, the wind.
0: didn't win because it was too windy but yeah it might have been windy for Liverpool but it's exactly the same for Everton <laughs> so it's just an absolutely ridiculous comment uh, so no I didn't agree with that what he said and yeah he'll have been uh, certainly annoyed given some of the uh, decisions what he felt went against them, and you can probably understand them we will discuss them shortly but no, I thought, you know, Tottenham definitely deserves something from them. I mean, come on, not everyone's just going to roll over, Adder and let Liverpool win at the end of the day. So, I mean, Spurs, Spurs played well yesterday. I think you've just got to... It,
1: it took the game um, to Liverpool. It was, it's yeah. counter attacking football. Of course it is. And I think when you're playing against one of the best teams in probably the them and City, you know, best form currently maybe in Europe, you, you're going to have to play a certain game. You have to play a clever game. Like, I wouldn't say... In any way, it was sit back, hit, and hope at all. I thought it was very cleverly done. I thought they pressed in the right areas, and yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was a little bit of hitting out. His comments afterwards, and, and like you say, and we are going to talk about it. But I, I do agree with him on on mostly on the refereeing decisions. But I do think they probably balance themselves out as well.
0: Yeah, I think you've got to give credit to Tottenham because they cause big issues for Liverpool, and not a lot of teams do that, so I think you've just got to basically say how it is. Spurs played well yesterday. Uh, Right, we'll stop talking about Klopp for now. Uh, (laughs) We will go on to the uh, VAR controversy, uh, because there was a number of decisions. Obviously, there was Kane's foul on Robertson, uh, Jota going down under Emerson, Robertson's red card on Emerson, Uh, Liverpool second goal, where Salah handballed it. But I didn't get a mention. Uh, I think that was it. So we'll start with Kane on Robertson. Red card for you? Yellow card?
1: I think it was probably a red card. Myself, I think if you're a Spurs fan and that had been done to one of the Spurs players, I think you'd have been screaming for a red card. I, I, I think um we've seen Kane do this occasionally once in a while he loses his head slightly he goes in for a challenge Was it one against Newcastle I seem to remember one maybe it's St James's Park when he kind of went into one right on the touchline I can't remember who it was against but what player it was but he does that sometimes um it's not often it's not often at all but I kind of agree with Klopp that had Robertson's leg been planted I think it could have been utterly horrific to be honest um Kane was really pumped up as well. It was like, it was typical. It was kind of the Kane that we've wanted to see all season. He was really, you know, there was an element of the Kane versus Salah show. You know, he's seen Salah go off and have this, you know, he he beat Salah to the golden boot last year in the last week of the season, last season. Um, and I think this year, you know, Salah's essentially has blown him away really in terms of, Performances and it's kind of almost felt like he wanted to prove his point, and he was very, very pumped up. And yeah, for me, I was apparently it went to VAR. I think Klopp was trying to claim afterwards it should have gone from everything we were being told. The VAR did have a quick look at it, um, and they just felt that there wasn't enough there to. I think it has to be well, the, the expression, isn't it? A clear and obvious error by the referee, and ooh, you know, myself. Myself, I think it was probably and it, I think Cop's point maybe sounds it, it maybe would have changed the course of the game at that point possibly
0: Yeah, looking at it on VAR I think it is a red card everything does look a lot worse in slow motion, I must admit that uh, mm. it, I don't think there was any intent there it was clearly going for the ball There was no, it wasn't malicious or anything it was literally split second and Pulling Robertson, time. yeah, Robertson, you know, just nicked it, uh, to stop Kane from getting it. And yeah, I think looking at the replay, then it was a red card, but VAR didn't give it. So we'll move on to the next one, and that was Emerson's challenge on Diego Jota penalty, no penalty
1: <laughs> again. <laughs> I'm going to put a caveat on this. Again, I would probably agree with Klopp. I felt it was a penalty. I felt it was a penalty in the moment, and I watched it back, and I was like, I think it is. But then what I'd do – I'm sorry if this messes up your running order now – but I would bundle it together because, in my mind, if you're giving a penalty for that, you also have to give a penalty for the Alley one because they were very similar. Very similar players coming together, you know – the referee, wasn't it? Klopp said the referee told him that he felt Jota had suddenly stopped and like anticipated the contact rather than going down because of the contact, which I don't think was the case, if I'm gonna be perfectly honest. There was another one for Harry Winks that was kind of maybe fell into that category as well. I'd say that one evened itself out, I think. I think it was yeah, I'd lump them all in the same category and I think you either you either are giving out or you're not, and then all of them have to apply if you are. Um yeah, <laughs> it was it was just crazy game. Just remembering all the <laughs> different things
0: that happened it was mad. Yeah, for me, that was a penalty. We'll move on to the next one. So I just thought it was a penalty. <laughs> there's, there's nothing else <laughs> needed to add to it, to be honest. So the next one, Liverpool second goal, what Robertson scored. It did appear that Mohammed Salah handballed it. I, I don't know why. Uh it was given. To be honest, it looked a clear handball. You could definitely see it uh, hit his hand. But I mean, what were they checking for? I've just told. Totally if was it offside, they were looking for originally with that one.
1: Um, they were looking
0: at something, but it wasn't the handball.
1: Was didn't that come just after the penalty incident with Delhi? Were they looking back to the Delhi one? Because it, it, it
0: could have been. To be honest, I It think might they have been. Then
1: went up the pitch, didn't they? And I think they were all, I remember Kane was pointing up the pictures to say, you need to yes. check that first. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, sorry, I've just, just literally had some, as we're doing this, we just literally have been sent an email by UEFA. Spurs have got a little uh, a little fine. So do you remember the Tottenham versus Vitesse match in November? Um, Spurs have been fined €5,000 for an invasion of the field of play and uh, another €2,750 for throwing of objects. Onto the field of play, Vitesse have been also. Funny enough, Vitesse have got a much bigger fine five thousand six hundred twenty five euros for throwing of objects and five thousand for crowd disturbances. I remember that now. Wasn't there? There was like something really going on in the crowd, wasn't there? There was a proper. Was it some bit of a brawl going on? Wasn't there or something?
0: Uh, in the far corner, just a load of Vitesse fans. I can't actually remember what they were doing, but I think all the police and stewards, there were just loads around them trying to stop it all. So, yeah, that oh, probably I explains why they got fined a lot more.
1: I was away, wasn't I? That was Conte's yeah. first, um, yeah. first game. It was, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Some breaking news during the pod, but, which by the time everyone listens to this, will be well aware of. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What was I going to say? What were we talking about? Oh yeah, we were talking about the the uh, Salah uh, moment. You know, Conte very much afterwards. He was very clear. He was like you know, Jurgen didn't mention this, did he? Kind of thing. It's like my assistants. He's, he's made He did the old Arsene Wenger of I haven't seen anything, but he said my assistants have told me that the, um, you know, Liverpool's second goal. In his words, it was incredible. It should it, it you know incredible that it stood. And I've, I've watched it, I didn't actually get a chance to see it a second time until I got home late last night. Um, he does, he goes to put his head forward, he completely misses it and just knocks it on with his hand instead. I'm sorry, yeah. Mr. Pop, but if you are going to say that things should be referred to VAR, how in the world was that not referred and and struck out? And they, I mean, are they saying that that wasn't in the same phase of play? I don't know. Because technically the ball then came back out and Alexander-Arnold kind of volleyed it across for Robertson to head in. But come on. If he's not getting advantage by flicking it across with his hand, I don't really know what else the handball rule is there for.
0: Yeah, I just found it really strange that when they were looking on VAR, I think that was early showed once, Salah. Mm. Ben Davies claimed for it. Ben Davies put his hand up straight away, but he wasn't given... So we'll move on to like the
1: last right one. as well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we'll move on to the last one. Uh, with VAR and that was Andy Robertson's foul straight red on Emerson Royal. Who's red red card all day long. He's I don't just he really
1: yellow first. It's no. a bit like, you know, while I absolutely have sympathy with them over the uh, the Kane decision my he just swiped at him. It was just like, I'm getting that ball. I don't even care if you're in the way. It was bizarre. And, and to be fair to Klopp, that was about the only one he actually agreed with. <laughs> he said, you know, he's just been silly. He's just been done that. And yeah, God, well, even where we were over the far side, you could see Emerson just fly up in the air like a cartwheel. Um, and him kind of he screamed as it hit him. As much as we sometimes say, footballers, you know, they go down a little bit easier and they make out these screams. My God, he, you know, his leg was almost hacked off. Um, yeah, absolutely no complaints there, surely. Um, I think, yeah, I think the only thing that I'd contest is why the world he got a yellow card to begin with and he even had to go over and look at his monitor. The linesman should be telling him straight away that was ridiculous. Um yeah. my biggest disappointment really after that was that Spurs didn't really make enough of having the extra man, they'd actually played really well and I'd say in that, what was it 13, I don't know, it was probably about 6 minutes of added time as well, maybe 20 minutes almost at the end they kind of wasted that as they'd kept on doing what they were doing so well, maybe that was the problem maybe they'd, they were trying to continue doing the countering when perhaps they should have just dominated possession and used the extra man and uh, yeah definite red
0: card though, absolutely nailed on as they say. Yeah, it was uh, clear as day that, absolute straight red. I think Stephen Warnock was on Sky Sports News today when they do the ref watch and he was asked about it, now Warnock's the next Liverpool player and he yeah. says it was a yellow card.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he's no. Yeah, He didn't really, did he?
0: Yeah, seriously. I've oh, seen it I on, on Twitter, 100%. Yeah, shocking. Right, we'll we'll move away from all this VAR stuff because I mean we can yeah. talk about it all day. Let's talk about Harry Winks. What a performance from him yesterday. He was one of the players who uh came into the side following that game against Norwich, total of five changes, and he's made his case to start in the next game against West Ham. He was absolutely brilliant in the middle of the park yesterday. I know when he came on for Conte's first game against Betes had a 15-20 minute cameo and he looked really really good in in that and he he's done well on the Conte so far I know he didn't have a good time under Nuno under Jose but there's clearly a good player in there because I can remember his performances against Real Madrid in the Champions League and to perform so well against one of the world's best teams you know there's clearly a player in there and he's just getting it out of him and uh, working under Conte, a midfielder himself back in the day. Uh, clearly, his work wonders for Winks, and he really showed that yesterday. I know you were speaking about him in the press conference. You asked Antonio, uh, what did he say?
1: Yeah, well, I kind of did a bit of a double question. It was about um, Winks and Dilly and just says, just pretty much straight off, what, what did you make of them today? And he just, it was full of praise, for, especially Harry Winks. He just said, He's just impressed me so much in training. He said he's just shown this real will and desire in training to kind of essentially catch his eye and say, "Look, give me a chance." And yeah, I think you're right. I think every time we've seen him under Conte, I think he's been quite bright. And you know, I think people maybe lump him in with the embarrassment in Murra, but he didn't play. He wasn't playing that night. You know, he he just I think he just played against Leeds, didn't he? And I think he'd done well against Leeds. Um, obviously, he had that bright that for test game we were just talking about. Fun enough, he came off the bench and played well in that. In the like later on, um, I thought for Harry Winks, I just thought that was exactly what he needed. It brought back memories, funnily enough, of watching him play against Liverpool back at Wembley and the Poch. I think they Spurs won four one that day. It was very similar. He was very, it was like it's, it's, I mean that was what Conte said. He said him playing in that number four role in front of a back three. He said he's very, very good at that. So that's the role that suits him perfectly. Just having maybe someone sitting ahead of him, and obviously it was Tongi and, and Delhi really, and he was like at the pivot of those, um, you know, the anchorman role almost. Um, and he was, he was excellent. You know, Winx has got his detractors. Of course, he is. He's one of those many players that kind of is on the scapegoat list. Um, you know, which is obviously it's always sad to see, especially when it's a homegrown, one of your own kind of players. Um and it's just it's just gone off the boil, you know. He has it's he would say, and I think he did say that, didn't he, out in Mura that uh, not in Mura, sorry, it was it was, was in Bethesda. Holland. Yes. Yeah. That was it. He said, you know, I've never I haven't been able to get a rhythm because I'm not playing regularly. And every time I come in, I'm coming in cold, and and maybe that's the difference. Under Conte, he's been getting a few more minutes. Um, and that's why perhaps we're seeing a better performance out of him. Um, you know, this This is the guy that, you know, I've said this a million times, even though I know Winx, is, Winx haters, as they are, don't like it. But, you know, when you watch them against Real Madrid, when you watch them against Borussia Dortmund, when you watch them against Liverpool at, uh, at Wembley, and then again yesterday, there's clearly a very, very good player in there. You don't have Mauricio Pochettino, Nick can name you privately, little Iniesta behind the scenes at Oxford Way, if you're rubbish. You don't get that. I remember when Winks was actually told that. He wasn't even aware that that was what Poch called him behind the scenes because that's what you saw in him, just a little in the history. And, of course, his season hasn't really progressed since – I'd say the season of the Champions League final, I think him and Sissoko were probably two of the standout players in that midfield. You know, Winks had a lot of good games. Um, and I wrote this in my talking points. People often forget that all the hoopla was about that Champions League final was Kane coming back after two months two months out injured and how he was so poor, blah, blah, blah. It should have been Lucas Mora. And it kind of overshadowed the fact that Harry Winks also came back that night after two months out injured. And he played about an hour. He was good. He was very bright. He put in a good performance. But obviously, everything pretty much about Tottenham's performance that night is going to be buried in the sands of time because of the final result. Um, but yeah, he clearly is a guy that can play against the bigger teams. Maybe... Some might argue, maybe it's against the other teams he slips up. I don't know, but I felt that was a big performance, and I think the way Conte was talking about him afterwards, I think he's done himself a lot of lot of good with Conte. I think Conte has been well. He's been he said this himself. He's been evaluating these players ahead of next month. I had to go as far to say Winks has proved that he probably will want to keep him because, you know. Let's say you think Hoybier and Skip are the, the guaranteed two to play. Um, you just need one injury to one of those. And the fact that how many matches are going to be coming up. I think Winks plays probably every other game at least. And if he puts in performances like that, he might even start pushing to be starting game in, game out. You know? um, again, of course, people will say, it's one game. It's still Harry Winks. He's rubbish. But I thought he ticked everybody. I gave him my man of the match. He got the man of the match from the fans after the game as well. Um, Funny enough, I saw the BBC did their player ratings, which are an average of people kind of just clicking on it. And he had something like six or like 6.1. <laughs> and I think that just shows that we do also, we all sometimes suffer from this seeing things through kind of uh, eyes where maybe uh, we don't really want to see what's actually happened. And I, and I thought he was terrific. You know, we said um, way back, didn't we, about Jaffa Tengenga in the opening game against Man City set the tone with that crunching tackle. It's exactly what Harry Winks did yesterday against Liverpool. That tackle on... Who was it He won the ball Kata, on?
0: Keita. On Naby Keita on there. Was, yeah.
1: in, in the, was was it 13 minutes in? It was, it was early yeah. in. Did that. The whole crowd noise just went... Roach, it just suddenly roared to life. Ali plays the ball back. It's knocked forward to on Bele. on through ball came, brilliant goal. It all came from that tackle. It just shows you how important those moments can be. And what I do think about Winks under Conte, much more advanced in his thinking in terms of his passing. Um, you know, He's always had this thing of being a sideways passer, some people claim. Um, but under Conte especially, everything he's trying to do, is putting. he's quite good at spreading the ball out wide. He's played some lovely balls over the top. You know, Vitesse, obviously, Emerson, the, the sending off of the Vitesse goalkeepers because of the Winks ball. Winks played two or three very good balls last night. You know, I hope people give him a chance. I hope they don't still decide to just want him out, whatever, regardless. Because Spurs, as you and I like to bore people about, have a homegrown player issue. You're (laughs) going to start getting rid of all these homegrown players and replacing them with, you know, as Alan Sugar once said, Carlos Kickerball or whatever, you know, foreign players. You're not going to, uh, you're going to have big problems, (laughs) quite frankly. You're not going to be able to register players.
0: I think he'll still be at the club come the start of February. I think Conte's taking a shine to him, as he alluded to you yesterday in the, pre-match press com- in the post-match press conference. He was waxing lyrical about him. And given what he said, I just can't see him turning around in January going, all right, we don't need you, Harry. We'll let you go this month now, given what he's saying. I think he's firmly part of his plans, Uh The fact there's no European football now means there's limited games. It's just your Premier League, potentially an FA Cup if you have a cup run, which, fingers crossed, Spurs will, given they've got Markham first up, should at least get to the fourth round. Potentially got a Carabao Cup uh, semi-final coming up. So key to that for Winks, carry on this performance yesterday. Yes, it's only one performance. You need to take it forward. If you do that, minutes will come. And Yeah, really impressive him and the fact he's just getting the ball forward as well. That's uh, good to see. That's what people want to see and, you know, hopefully he can kick on from here. Another two who impressed, who deserve a mention as well, deliali Ali and Ryan Sessignon. Uh, Conte was asked ahead of the game by Sky Sports about his team selection and basically giving the chance the likes of Cessignon Ali Winks as they've not played a right lot under him. And what he said was he's giving them a chance. He wants them to show them he can they can be a part of his plans at Tottenham. Basically the playing for the future potentially and you've got to say all three took the chance yesterday. I thought Delhi was really good uh on the left of a midfield three probably similar to the role he had under Nuno but it was certainly more attacking on the Conte, give him more license to go forward, and I think the only thing missing from his performance was a goal. I think he should have buried that one. What Son played the cross to him. I mean, that was a really good pick out from Son because he had two or three defenders around him. Good save from Allison. Really good save, but I think Delhi, in all honesty, should have think he should have uh, buried that. And then there was the one where he tried put, putting it on the plate to Kane and just took a bit of a bubble, didn't have enough on it and the chance went, but I didn't. A lot of positives with Ali's performance yesterday and then same for Sessignon as well. I know you said at the start of the show um, Mohamed Salah being one of the world's best players at the moment, many see him as the world's best player. He didn't have a kick yesterday and that's down to Ryan Sessignon and she Ben Davies. Yeah. <laughs> on uh, Tottenham's left, yeah uh, barely knew he was in the game Salah he literally did nothing of note so I think Sessignon deserves plenty of credit and Davis as well with Sessignon he's in his favoured position now as a left wing back when he was at Fulham a number of Premier League clubs were interested in him because of the amount of goals and assists he scored and you know Maurizio Pochettino was always keen to bring him to Tottenham and they finally got a deal done in August 2019 Hampered by injuries that first season. He was in and out of the team when he was fit. Did well at Hoffenheim last year. He's come back in the summer. Injuries again have, you know, really limited him in terms of his minutes, but he's been getting quite a few appearances under his belt, under Conte so far. Probably less said about that, sending off uh, Enes Miora, the better. But I think he was very good yesterday and I think he's a serious option to play left wing back. Uh, it's, I think Sergio Reguilon's really got a battle on his hands for that position over the long term.
1: Yeah, Conte really likes Sessegnon. You can tell. He, the way he kind of, other than the massive praise he's given him, especially when he came back from injury, is raving about him. But one of the ways you can tell is that yesterday, in three different interviews and my question to him, he brought up Sessegnon unprompted questions weren't about Sessegnon and he said oh don't forget Ryan Cessignon. he was really good and it was like okay all right we get it you really like him kind of thing um I'd probably say the two performances yes they kind of maybe have differing uh, long-term meanings for both players I think for Cessignon, it was it was proof that Conte is absolutely right about him that he is you know he's going to really left wing back yeah, I agree. I think I'd actually say, and, and again, this is very much within its scenario, within that game, I felt when Reguilon came on, Spurs weren't as threatening down the left. I actually felt they lost a little bit of that, and that's massive credit to Ryan Sessegnon because he had a couple of moments, you know, he just kept trying. to. He had a lot on his hands defensively, but that didn't stop him trying to get up the pitch, and Dier kept picking him out with passes. Um, he had one early on where he, he got into the box, but then... He took it on really well. I think he headed it on. I think Trent Alexander-Arnold just got a foot in to, to knock it away. And then just before half-time, like the last action of the first half, he teed up Harry Kane, who probably should have got a proper shot away. Um, and then at the back, you know, we have spoken about it. If I saw the joke on Twitter, um, I was over last night or this morning, of, you know, Ryan Sessegnon just gone into the lost and found because he had a, a Mohammed Seller in his pocket kind of thing. And it's like... Uh, I think that's great for him. You know, it, <laughs> Mohamed Salah is, is one of the, if not the best player right now playing football. He's, he's phenomenal. And I think a lot of people before the game, I saw it on social media, were saying, you know, oh my God, Ryan up against Salah. Oh my God, all this sort of stuff. Or Ben Davies, chucking him in. Those two Spurs players, David and Cessna, absolutely kept him out of the match. I don't think I've ever seen Salah so quiet, ever. And, and even, you know... Like, uh, probably, I'd say Mane was probably their main threat. He, he caused Spurs some problems. And obviously, the two um, two fullbacks as well. But in terms of Salah, I think Session did a terrific job. And I think he really staked a claim yesterday against one of the best teams around, taking on one of the best attackers in the world, to say to Conte, I'm not just going to be your backup. I'm going to properly battle Sergio Reguilon for this place. You know, you're going to have some decisions to make in the future. And we know with Ryan Session now, it's all about injuries. If he can steer clear of injuries, only 21, and to put in that performance, um, I thought it was really exciting. I was really, really pleased about that. With Delhi, I wonder with Delhi, my, my only fear, and actually, no, let's say the good stuff about Delhi first. His, his performance was really, really uh, productive, made a big impact in the game. He did a lot of the work that he did under Nuno in that midfield three, he really worked hard. But he had, like we say, like you said, more of an attacking threat to him. Um, And Conte pointed it out afterwards when when I asked him about him, and I think this for me is the only fear, is that he said in a 3-5-2, he's really good in that role. Because of his stamina, because of his physicality, but also his ability on the ball. Um, Obviously, he was very rusty when it came to the final third deli. That was the one thing that let him down. He kept getting into some great positions through his own movement. Through his own trickery, guile, whatever you want to call it, but yeah, I mean, like we said, it was a great save from Allison. But no way should Alisson have even had a chance to have that save. The ball should have been buried, um, and also the it kind of came off his ankle that hit across to to Kane. The, the it was, it was meant to be, you know, that that should have been wrapped up. But what I would say is, if Delhi Ali's Maybe only proper role in a Conte team would be in a 3 5 2. I don't think we're going to see a 3 5 2 a lot. I think that's the formation he will wheel out against the big sides like the Liverpools and, and maybe, you know, maybe the Chelsea's, Man City's, teams like that to kind of counteract them. I don't think it's going to be a regular formation, which for me, I guess then you're looking at his other potential chances in a 3 4 1 2 and playing the, what, the one behind the strikers, uh, which I think he could do. But my only fear is whereas I feel that Winston Sessegnon maybe tapped Conte on the shoulder essentially yesterday and said, there you go. That's what I can do. Get me in your team when you can. I think with Delhi, I wonder whether he's alert. It was more about, I hate to use the expression, but I think it kind of was like a shop window performance. And that's not to say he was trying to put himself in a shop window. I just think as a natural consequence of what he did and that. For me, it was probably his best performance in a Spurs shirt for years. Yes, he's scored an overhead kick. And yes, you know, um, who did he score an overhead kick? That was a European game, wasn't it? And he scored against Fulham as well, didn't he? Or he forced an own goal against Fulham. And he's had these little sparks. But I felt as a whole performance, yesterday was the best in years from him. And I just feel like I wonder whether that entices someone like a Newcastle next month to go... Oh, if we can lure him, he's still clearly got it. Because I just don't know whether there's enough game minutes to be handed to him under Conte. And that's the only reason I say that. He's not playing in a position where, you know, Sessionon will get a lot of minutes because you've only have two left wing backs and you're going to rotate them. Winks, I think, will get a lot of game time now in that midfield. I just don't know if I can see it for Delhi, which is a shame because I think yesterday you proved there's just a still really good player in there.
0: Yeah, he played really well yesterday, but I think the one thing Delhi needs is minutes and consistent minutes at that. And I just don't think he'll get that at Tottenham on the Conte, especially with no European football yeah. on the agenda now. Yeah. So, yeah. On the subject of European football, we will move <laughs> yeah. on to Tottenham's uh, UEFA's outcome over the Tottenham versus Wren game. Obviously, this one was postponed following that COVID outbreak. Uh, uh, Spurs what basically decimated Antonio Conte's top squad, left him with limited players. That game didn't go ahead. Obviously, Wren then issued a couple of statements Then they were they wanted to play because they, they had arrived in London and felt they should have played or at least got the points. And Wrens have been given a 3-0 win, so that means Vitesse go through instead of Tottenham. Is this the right decision? I've I mean UEFA didn't really explain it, did they? In the statement what the issue basically they just outlined Renzo have been given it because Tottenham have really forfeited.
1: Yeah, we're gonna get we are I'm told by UEFA we are, we will get the full written reasons. Um we don't we aren't getting them immediately. I think the clubs get them straight away and we'll get them soonish. Um I can't help but feel that Tottenham have been essentially chucked out of a competition because they tried to do the right thing. I just can't see any other way of looking at it. Yes, it may be that Tottenham was slightly above the available players' rule that UEFA have, but I'm sorry. After Tottenham, at that day, had a lot of, you know, they had a lot of positive cases in their camp, and hindsight has gone on to show that the following day, there were more positive cases. And the following day, and the day after that, there was an outbreak spreading through their club. I'd be stunned if Wren would have got away from this match and gone back without taking some positive cases with them kind of thing. And for me to then go by the letter of the law and, say, and not have any flexibility at a time when clearly you've got to look at stuff in a more open, understanding manner. I found it bizarre. Look, I want to add the massive caveat to this that Tottenham in no way, shape or form should have been relying on this final game to get through in the <laughs> over-conference league. Spurs are absolutely stuffed themselves with some of the most ridiculously awful performances in this competition. So yes, that side, it's difficult to kind of, you know, justify the fact that, yeah, yeah, they, they shot themselves in the foot early in the competition, but... I don't like it. I don't like the way the decision's been made. I don't like the fact that there seemed to be a real lack of willingness. You know I do not I d I don't I don't want to know the I don't want to say I know the ins and outs of everything that went on behind closed doors, but it just felt from the outside like there was a lack of a willingness to get that game played. Um and I feel that was the fairest thing that the game should have been played at some point. You know, we've got like what? almost two months before the playoff leg, there's loads of time that game could be played. And I feel like UEFA just gone, we've got that rule, can't be bothered now to wait around, let's just do this. And yeah, uh, I'm not a fan of that. It's like club does the right thing, has its training ground closed down, can't train, has positive cases galore, no, they should have played. I I don't get it. I don't understand it at all. very bizarre, but hey, this is UEFA work in their own special way. Um, there's very interesting decisions they come out with sometimes, and I must admit, my the first impressions I was getting out of Tottenham was that they were going to have a little bit of a fight about it, and then we got that you know, you and I both got that kind of statement not too long after coming out of Tottenham that they were going to accept the decision, which I'm surprised at to be honest. I think there's a little bit of I just wonder whether, you know, we discussed this earlier, didn't we, you and I, that you're going to get money, you're going to get gate receipts, you can get TV revenue. You're looking at a fair few millions that would come in in this competition had they advanced. But, and this is a question for you, is that tempered by the possibility of without the cluttered fixture schedule, if Spurs were to get top four under Conte, which when you watch performances like yesterday, maybe isn't so, you know, crazy. They win their games in hand and they are in the top four. Are Spurs looking at that and thinking we might we we'll make more money out of getting into the top four than we would in this competition? And is that the right thing when the silverware are on offer?
0: Possibly. I think there's, uh, I think, first of all, Tottenham did the right thing in terms of getting the rent game, there's just no way that could have been uh, going ahead. And, you know, it is what it is with UEFA's decision. Tottenham are disappointed with it. They did say that but they've at the And I think the Vitesse, they're happy with the outcome. I think they said in their statement, their general director was saying it wouldn't have sat well with them really if it was a different outcome. And they're not expecting, uh, basically, an investigation into it. I think they're pretty confident that they will be playing Rapid Vienna in the next round in February. So for me, uh, if you're in that European competition, I know... A lot of people weren't happy about it and thought Spurs are better off out of it. But I think for me, if you're in it, you play it to win and go all the way. But it's it's not the case now. The road to Tirana is officially over for Tottenham. Uh, but I think there's a lot of benefits now to not being in this competition. Uh, like you said, Champions League, Tottenham as it stands, six points off Arsenal, do have three games in hand, all winnable games as well. Burnley away, Brighton away, who've had a bit of a wobble recently. Leicester aren't the team that were the previous two seasons, so that's potentially another nine points you could get there, climbing to the top four. And then Spurs have winnable games coming up over the festive period. Crystal Palace at home, Southampton and Watford away. I think they can win all three of those. So, yeah, for me, I think, First of all, going into this season, I think the number one target was getting back in the Champions League after missing out in the past two. You qualify for the Champions League, that brings you more money, makes you more of an attractive proposition to potential new sign-ins. Antonio Conte is now the manager. You know, if if Tottenham can get into that top four, uh, things could uh, Be looking a lot lot brighter come the summer in terms of potential incomings and they don't have that fixture backlog, what potentially could have happened if they were still in Europe and a fixture backlog in the final few months of the season could have potentially derailed the chances. Now, Arsenal are one club who don't have European football, West Ham who are in the running for fourth do, Manchester United as well, they're in the Champions League When Conte was Chelsea manager, first season, they had no European football at all and won the Premier League title. Now, with no midweek games... (laughs)
1: They did have European football.
0: Yeah. With no midweek games, that means more time on the training pitch. That has always been a problem over the past few years. Big problem for Nuno at the start of the season. Just limited time to get to know his players, get his philosophy across... Jose Mourinho made that point as well when he was manager. The one thing he wanted was time on the training pitch because with these European games, you're having a recovery session after, you'll have a recovery session after a Premier League game. You just don't have the time to have a proper intense training session to try and get your philosophy and your ideas across. And I mean, that's why Conte's been doing double sessions just to get everyone up to speed and getting everyone, you know, the right thinking. So I think extra time on the training pitch is only going to bode well under the Conte. They've made big strides already so far. And that is with games in midweek and limited time. And obviously there's been plays out with COVID. Uh, so that's been limited numbers on the training pitch. So yeah, I think there's, uh, there can be some big benefits to uh, no European football. And fingers crossed, come May, we will be talking about a Champions League finish.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the purists won't be happy. The the people who would maybe rightly say you should always be looking for a trophy over top four. You know, and I understand that point of view completely. But this situation is the way it's played out. You know, there's there's nothing really probably Tottenham can do about it unless they did launch some big legal challenge in the court of arbitration for sport, which doesn't look like it's going to be. Um, You make the best of the situation, I guess, and and that situation, yeah, it it could really open things up for Antonio Conte. And, you know, I very much was thinking with Tottenham, you look to next season. Next season, the big summer, that was going to be all about the Conte way. This could end up, this could end up really making this season very interesting. Um, You know, I'm sure there's people out there saying, oh, but he needs more transfers, he needs new faces, all of this. We cannot forget that Conte is a guy that improves what he has as well. And we've said this before about the players who maybe some people will have deemed as average or not superstars, and he's turned them into very important players within his teams. Um, and as you know, Harry Winks may become one. Ben Davies looks like they're becoming one. Who's you know some people maybe unfairly label as as not the best around or or average or whatever they they, they kind of throw out these terms. I think. Antonio Conte, first and foremost, is a very good, I almost almost swore that he's a very, very good coach. You know, he is so good. That that is his primary thing. And he spoke about this yesterday um, when I asked about the Delian Winks and he spoke about Cessna as well. He said, my job, the first thing I want to do is I want to improve every single player in the squad. He said, if I can improve every single player in the squad, then we raise our level. And that's when we can become competitive. And I thought that was really important. He says a lot of the right things. I really I think, you know, he's, he's been a real breath of fresh air, not only behind the scenes, but I think for us as journalists as well. And this is not to go in too hard on Nuno, who we knew was a man who didn't really want to talk about much at all. Um, but Conte, he's very open. And he's very insightful and he'll give you tactical answers as well, which is great. And you just get this air of confidence about him and confidence in what he's doing. I think that's exactly what Spurs needed. It really is. So, yeah, it's quite exciting. We'll see what's ahead. But it is Tottenham. So I'm sure if there's a way to implode, they'll find it.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the next few months. I think Tottenham are going places with Conte as manager. And there's still the Carabao Cup that can uh, contest for this season, FA Cup, could still potentially finish the season with a trophy and a top four finish. And I think if Spurs can put a run together and finish the season really strongly, then I think that bode well for next season. Because look how Liverpool finished last season. At one point, it looked like they were going to miss out on the top four altogether. I think they won about seven or eight in a row. Got the key players back. They've started like house on fire this season. So yeah. I think key for a good season next year, finish this season strongly and just kick on from there.
1: Definitely.
0: Right. Uh, let's talk about West Ham. We'll do this briefly because I know we're coming up to an hour already. So
1: <laughs> for 57 minutes of that, we're we'll spent talking about Jurgen Klopp.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Wednesday it is the return of the Carabao Cup. West Ham are the visitors to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. West Ham went in action this weekend. Can't remember who they were supposed to play, but their game was called off due to obviously COVID issues. So it's going to be an interesting London derby because West Ham have done very well under David Moyes so far. I can remember when the draw was made and Nuno still manager thinking. This could be a West Ham win here potentially, but feeling a lot more confident with Conte in charge now. It's going to be, you know, should be a really, really interesting game. In terms of the team, would you be changing it up that much or would you just go with exactly the same 11? Maybe put Oliver Skip back in, Regalon, players like that?
1: Depends on where people are at. Fitness wise, obviously, there's certain players that we know will be coming back from. Um from COVID um and we know that it's gonna take them a little bit of time to get up to speed. Whether that's you know another what would that be another four days on from Sunday's game. I, I think we'll see a few changes. I think those players who were out there on Sunday will have certainly given everything and I think there'll be some tired legs. Um you know West Ham West Ham slipped up slightly haven't they, in recent weeks, have been stumbling a little bit. And that's, you know, very much in context of, you know, compared to how well they've been doing. Obviously, that you know, beat Chelsea, didn't they, with that, that terrific kind of kind of rallying uh, last bit. Then obviously, yeah, just last three games, really, they have slightly stuttered and stumbled. Um, it's a tough one, really. I think West Ham, probably, with that free weekend, maybe it gives them... The option to play a slightly stronger team. Um, with Tottenham, you'd imagine Regulon will probably start because he can come back in. Um, I think maybe. I wonder whether Matt Doherty gets a, a chance at right. I wonder whether that's where you change him because those wingback roles are probably the most energy sapping roles, aren't they, in the team? Um, and then, yeah, you've got plenty of other players like Bergvine, Lucas, who maybe come in and. I think we'll see a few changes. I think we will. I think as a cup game, especially bearing in mind, you know, you haven't got long before the Boxing Day fixture. And just two days after that, currently we've got the Southampton fixture as well. And I think he has to start rotating his team, which, again, talking about the purists, I know they hate that. And I know they feel it's just play your strongest team in every game. But I think, especially at this period, the last thing Conte needs to do is end up with injuries because he's just starting to get these players available to him and then to kind of muck it all up by getting um, players getting injuries through overplaying. It's like Harry Kane. I mean, Harry Kane, I know Conte's already said this, he can't really have a rest. And I wouldn't see any of these games coming up where you can afford to rest him, especially if he's starting to find his way back like he looked like he was yesterday at points. Yeah, no, I'd, um, I'd make a couple of changes, but probably not wholesale ones.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's the time to do wholesale changes. Carabao Cup quarterfinal, placing semi-final up for grabs. And yeah, I think there'll be a couple of alterations, three or four maybe. I think you just got part of the strongest team you can against West Ham. They're a very good team and Tottenham are going to have to work incredibly hard to uh, get the better of them on Wednesday in N17. So I think we'll leave that there. For now, we've had plenty to discuss today. Obviously, loads of talking points revolving around the Liverpool game, the Europa Conference League decision, and then a brief look at Wednesday's game against West Ham. Hopefully, we will have another podcast after the West Ham game. If not, hope you all have a Merry Christmas and just want to say thank you for listening so far to the podcast. I think we've got... Quite a good reception uh, from everyone. So hopefully 2022, you know, we can carry on, make it an even better podcast. As always, just thank you for listening and keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.